Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hi, I'm Madigan, and you're listening to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, a podcast that explores the world through a personal feminist perspective. Hey, everybody. I'm very, very, very excited because my lovely boyfriend, Max, has set me up with an amazing new sound setup for the bedroom. So hopefully things should be sounding a little bit clearer, a little bit nicer. Hopefully some background sounds should be lessened a little bit. I'm very, very excited for the fact that we have this great new setup. It was funny because earlier today, Max and the boys from Somersault Queen were all in here practicing and recording some stuff through all of our equipment that we now have in the bedroom. And It was funny. Oh my gosh. Embarrassing story time. So they all left. Josh and Cody were here and they left and I had to go to the bathroom. And if I'm here with Max or home alone, I don't close the door to the bathroom ever and just pee freely. If I have to do other things, I'll I'll close the door and be respectful. But if I'm just going to pee, I'm just going to leave the door open. So I did that and I heard the guys come back in and I was like, oh, crap like I'm, I'm on the toilet I can't do anything about this and I'm like midstream I can't even get up and close the door I would have peed all over the floor and then I heard someone walking toward the bathroom and I was like well maybe it's Max and I can like lock eyes with him and be like close the door oh my gosh no it was Josh it was uh, our lovely friend Josh and we locked eyes and I was sitting on the toilet thankfully I am covered head to toe in sweats And so you couldn't really actually see anything except for the fact that like I was clearly sitting on the toilet. He has a girlfriend, a live-in girlfriend, like it's fine. It's not a big deal, but I was both hilarious and mortifying. All right. Well, I have a lot of news to get to this week, so I figure I should stop yapping and get to it. You know, it's interesting. Some weeks... I'm kind of looking a little bit further to see what important stories need to be told. This week, they all seem to be thrown at me, and I saved as many as I could to talk about, but I chose four things that I really, really want to discuss, so I apologize if I've missed any really important stories, but I feel like these definitely need a lot of attention, and it wasn't hard for me to think of anything to talk about this week. The first thing I want to talk about is the execution of Majid Reza Ranavard. And I apologize. I know I'm saying their names so, so wrong. I watched some YouTube videos and I'm doing my best. Majid Reza is the second person now who has been executed due to their involvement in the protests occurring in Iran following the death of Masa Amini. His execution was only three days after the execution that I discussed on last week's episode of Masin Shikari. And this execution was actually held publicly. 
He had been accused of stabbing two student Basij militia volunteers during a protest on November 17, 2022. The Basij, which translates to the Motivation or Resistance Mobilization Force, is one of the five forces of the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps. The Supreme Leader, Kananai, describes the Basij as the, quote, greatest hope of the Iranian nation, Ishq. There was, quote, video proof of the incident, and the officials are claiming the assailant was Majid Reza. Human rights organizations believe that Iranian officials are fabricating evidence and forcing political prisoners to film staged confessions. He was arrested two days later on November 19th and was charged on November 24th on a charge of, quote, waging war against God. The same thing that uh, Mahsen Shikari last week was charged with. Majid Reza showed signs of having been tortured before he was killed and was seen with one of his arms wrapped in a cast before his execution. After his death, officials released a video where he had said that he hated the besieged militiamen for beating and killing other protesters, which he saw on social media. So claiming that social media was the thing that set him off and he was looking for these militiamen to kill. And that was his whole point. And that ties into the human rights organizations that are claiming that a lot of these videos are probably being taken under duress and they're being made to say things that they don't actually mean. There was also edited footage released of him in the courtroom saying that he made a mistake where he disavowed the beliefs that led to the alleged crime and asked to be punished as soon as possible, which is just heartbreaking. Following the execution of Mahsen Shikari on December 8th, a senior Iranian commander had signed a document requesting the public execution of one prisoner connected to the protests, quote, in the shortest time possible, specifically requesting that the execution be public as a, quote, and this is really disgusting, heartwarming gesture towards the security forces. The 23-year-old was publicly hanged from a crane on the morning of December 12th, 2022. Following his execution, the Iranian judiciary posted photos of the event online. Iranian officials then thanked the police, security, and judiciary officials for carrying out the death sentence quickly and for, quote, answering public demands for establishing order and security and dealing with rioters and lawbreakers. There are a few other men who have been arrested recently who are in line to be executed, and I think it's important to mention them. Amir Nasser Azadani was arrested in November as well during a protest for Masa Amini, and he is allegedly responsible for the deaths of a police officer and two besiege members as well. Amir is a soccer player, and he played as a defender for the Persian Gulf Pro League club with their tractor team. Another man by the name of Mohammed Borogani, who is only 19 years old, is now facing a death sentence as well for his participation in a protest in late September or early October 2022. Officials allege that Mohammed deliberately set a fire to the governor's office and brandished a machete while leading a mob and was charged with waging war against God. He was also accused of posting things on social media, inciting others to participate in the protests as well. His court hearing took place on October 29th, and he was unable to choose his own attorney to represent him, something that has been commonplace in these trials, which human rights organizations are calling sham trials. He was tried along with five other protesters who were all charged with crimes punishable by death. He has now apparently been moved to a specific prison for those who are waiting to be executed, and many believe his execution is imminent. 
Although there is a man by the name of Martin Diedenhofen, a member of the German parliament, and he announced on December 9th that he would take a, quote, political sponsorship of Mohammed. This is a practice that allows allows members of parliament to pick a political prisoner for the purpose of using their influence to advocate for the prisoner's release. Amnesty International has called upon Iranian officials to, quote, stop using the death penalty as a tool of political repression against the protesters in their desperate attempt to end the popular uprising. There's also another important story coming out of Iran and these protests in particular, and that is the treatment of Iranian women who are being held as political prisoners for their role in the protests. One Kurdish-Iranian woman, who CNN is calling Hannah to protect her identity, says she both witnessed and suffered sexual violence while detained. Hannah has said to CNN, There were kids as young as 13 and 14 years old who were captured in the demonstrations. They were brutally hurt. They hurt the girls even more. They sexually violated them. In recent weeks, videos have spread on social media allegedly showing Iranian security forces sexually assaulting female demonstrators in the streets. And you'd think this would be more talked about, but with their media access inside Iran being heavily contained and guarded, it's hard for journalists to get the full picture of what is happening, and it's easier for the Iranian government to continue their abuse. CNN was able to corroborate several reports of sexual violence against protesters and heard accounts of many more. They've also learned that these assaults are often videotaped as a way to blackmail their victims into silence. I'm going to attach the CNN article that I read for research in the show notes as they go into specific accounts of the abuse that are both horrific and eye-opening. It would be way too difficult for me to repeat a lot of what I read on the show, so if you're curious about any of these stories, I highly recommend reading the very, very, very well-done article. And you may be listening to this thinking, well, what am I supposed to do? This is terrible and sad, but what am I supposed to do about any of it? And what the protesters want is for the world's governments to isolate the Iranian regime by fully cutting ties financially and diplomatically. They're asking for tech companies to support their safety and security as the regime uses social media to track and target protesters. Ali Safavi, a member of the Foreign Affairs Committee for the National Council of Resistance of Iran, says... I think instead of investing or thinking that this regime's behavior can be changed, the United States should invest in the Iranian people and their future. The next thing I wanted to talk about was another thing that a listener had pointed out to me and wanted me to discuss, and I am very, very glad that I further educated myself on this topic. The Taliban has now suspended university education for female students. A spokesperson of the Afghan Ministry of Higher Education confirmed the suspicion on Tuesday, and I received a message from a listener on Monday alerting me of the crisis. In March, girls were banned from returning to secondary schools after the Taliban ordered schools for girls to shut down, just hours after they were due to reopen after months of being closed due to the Taliban's takeover in August. Afghanistan is the only country in the world where girls are banned from going to high school and effectively barred from political participation, according to the United Nations website. Before the Taliban even came back into power, Afghanistan was struggling for funding education. Before the Taliban re-entered, there was already 4 million kids out of school, 60% of them being girls. 
And this is where funding gets a little bit interesting. The country loses 2.5% of its annual gross domestic product by not allowing girls in school, though UNICEF has said their economy would actually gain at least $5.4 billion if the current group of 2 million girls were to complete secondary school and join the workforce. The UN website also reminded me that keeping girls out of school not only violates their right to an education and prevents them from realizing their full potential, but it also puts them at an increased risk of an early marriage, early pregnancy, and violence and abuse. And certainly banning the access to college education is not going to do anything to better the relationship between the Taliban and the rest of the world. The March closure of the schools had a significant impact of the U.S. engagement with Taliban representatives. U.S. Ambassador Robert Wood told the United Nations Security Council briefing that the, quote, Taliban cannot expect to be a legitimate member of the international community until they respect the lives of all Afghans, especially the human rights and fundamental rights of women and girls. When the Taliban resurrected in August, they attempted to project a more moderate image of themselves to help gain international support, but they have kept none of the promises made to the international community that it would protect its women and girls. Now women in Afghanistan can no longer work in most sectors. They must have a male companion to travel long distances alongside of them. They have been ordered to cover their faces in public. In November, Afghan women were prevented from entering amusement parks in Kabul as the government announced restrictions on women being able to access public parks. According to UN.org, the breakdown of the health system has comprised women and girls' access to reproductive health services, including maternal health care, particularly for more than 9 million people living in remote areas of the country. For the estimated 24,000 women who give birth each month in hard-to-reach areas, childbirth can, in effect, be a death sentence. So while we're sitting here very, very upset that Roe has been overturned and with all the rights in the world to be able to do so, it's really, really sad for me to think about the people that don't have the physical access to any of these types of health care at all. And that there are so many women in Afghanistan right now who are going through either terrible abuse or potential death due to childbirth or being forced into early marriages or being forced into a marriage at all. And I really never want to sound like I'm judging anybody's culture because I know that there is a really long history of arranged marriages working out and it's very important to a lot of different cultures. So I don't want to come off as being insensitive in any way, but I also really believe in autonomy and I don't believe that anyone should be married to someone else unless both parties fully consent to what they're doing. Call me crazy, but that's just me. All right, I have two more stories coming up for you, but quick, let's take a little break. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. 
With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cashback boost. That's an extra 10% cashback on top of the 15% cashback. You won't see higher cashback rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. All right, I am back. Now, the next story I'm thinking a lot of you probably saw in your feeds somewhere. And if not, where have you been? A German court on Tuesday convicted a 97-year-old woman, Ermgard Furchner, of being an accessory to murder for her role as a secretary for Commandant Paul Werner Hopp, the SS commander of the Nazi Stutthof concentration camp during World War II. Furchner was 18 to 19 years old when she worked for the commander. Because of this, she was strangely tried in juvenile court, even though she is a 97-year-old woman, as she was under the age of 21 at the time of her crimes. And this woman in this story, this part of it at least, is absolutely almost funny to me because she gets caught. But she was originally arrested more than a year earlier, but her trial was delayed in September 2021 when she briefly went on the run. She failed to turn up in court and was found by the police hours later on the outskirts of Hamburg. I can only assume what she may have been doing on the outskirts of anywhere, avoiding her court date. After this incident, she was held in custody for five days and was fitted with an electronic wrist tag. Now, five days does not seem like long enough, especially when she already went on the run. Like, I get that she's wearing an ankle bracelet, but I still think it's probably a good idea to hold the bitch in prison or in jail until her trial starts. I mean, that's just my thinking. She was alleged to have, quote, aided and abetted those in charge of the camp in the systematic killing of those imprisoned there between June 1943 and April 1945 in her function as a stenographer and typist in the camp commander's office. Her defense argued that the evidence hadn't shown beyond a reasonable doubt that she knew about the systematic killings at the camp, meaning there was no proof of intent as required for criminal liability. Interestingly enough, I wanted to add, she is also the only woman in Germany to have been held responsible for their crimes committed in a Nazi concentration camp. It's amazing to think of the numbers of women who got away with so many terrible crimes, thinking that she is the only one in Germany that didn't get away with it. The judge, Dominic Gross, said the trial would be, quote, one of the worldwide last criminal trials related to the crimes of the Nazi era. And that is really wild to think about. And I was thinking about this earlier when I was at work and by myself in the back all day. 
this really might be our last opportunity to actually bring these people to justice because there aren't many people alive anymore that were around during this time and young enough, old enough, however you want to look at it, to be able to have participated in these horrendous events. There was a series on Netflix that came out a couple years ago. I want to say it was called The Stranger Next Door or something like that, where it was about a man who was a Nazi soldier who was caught and tried, you know, many, many years later as an old man as well. And it was incredibly fascinating. For historical purposes, the judge also decided that the trial would be recorded. I actually really wouldn't mind watching the entire thing. Although... The trial took place over the course of 40 days. Each session was only about two hours long due to the accused's old age. She would roll up to court each day in an ambulance flanked by doctors wearing sunglasses and a face mask in her wheelchair. I can't help but think of the stupid ass, you know, Durst, Weinstein, Golden State Killer shtick that she's pulling, although she is 97. The court heard from 30 survivors and relatives of prisoners of Stutthof from the U.S., France, Austria, and the Baltic states. One of the testimonies was from an 84-year-old man named Joseph Solomonovic who survived Stutthof. Unfortunately, Joseph's father had been executed in the camp. He was able to look square at Furchner and hold up a photograph of his father. Outside the court, he said, quote, She is indirectly guilty, even if she was only sitting in the office. They also heard from historical experts who gave a look into what daily life was like at Stutthof and the role Furchner played in assisting the malicious treatment of its prisoners, as well as the information of the treatment of prisoners in which she was aware of. The court officials, including the judge, also visited the preserved site of the camp in Poland, where they saw for themselves how close her desk was to the working of the camp's death machinery, including gas chambers, a crematorium, and gallows. They also saw the view from her window, her walk to and from the office, along with orders she was instructed to process on her typewriter and via the phone. In her closing statement, Furchner said she was sorry for what happened and regretted that she had been at Stutthof at the time. She fell short of admitting her guilt. She was then handed a two-year suspended prison sentence. The Stutthof concentration camp was initially a collection point for Jewish and non-Jewish Polish people removed from the city. From about 1940, it was used as a so-called work education camp where forced laborers, primarily Polish and Soviet people, were sent to serve sentences and often died. In 1942, Stutthof became a regular concentration camp. Tens of thousands of people, perhaps as much as 100,000, were deported to the camp More than 60,000 people died there. Ermgard Furchner was charged with being complicit in more than 10,500 of those deaths. Last but not least, I didn't even mean to mention him earlier. I don't have a whole lot written about this because I think talking about the entire trial at a later date would probably be a great idea for an episode. But Weinstein has received his L.A. verdict. And I really love how CNN started this article. This is the quote. Disgraced movie mogul Harvey Weinstein (laughs) was found guilty of rape and sexual assault against one of four women he was accused of assaulting in L.A. Now, it is upsetting that it is only one of the four women. I know that there are a lot more details involved in that, but this is what I got for you for now. 
After weeks of emotional testimony and 10 days of deliberation, the jury unfortunately acquitted Weinstein of sexual battery by restraint, another count of sexual battery by restraint had a hung jury, and one count of forcible oral copulation and one count of rape related to two other women also had a hung jury. The three charges he was convicted of, rape, sexual penetration by a foreign object, and forcible oral copulation, were all tied to one of his accusers, identified as Jane Doe 1 in court. Weinstein faces a possible sentence of 24 years in prison for the L.A. conviction and is already serving a 23-year sentence in New York. I highly doubt they will be running at the same time, so hopefully... Weinstein is going to rot away in prison. Well, those are all the stories that I have for you today. Thank you to everyone who reached out and let me know what you wanted to hear this week. I encourage all of you to continue doing that. I really love the ideas. Sometimes you think of things that I don't see or that I'm not aware of, and it's always a great education for me no matter what. So if you have an idea for future topics, go ahead and email me at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram at angryneighborhoodfeminist. I haven't mentioned this in forever, but there is podcast merch and I definitely need to mix it up now that I'm on my own, give you some new stuff, you know, kind of revive it a little bit. But if you want to see what's out there, there is a link in the show notes for that. Also, if you haven't left a review on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please, please, please give me an amazing holiday present and do that right away. Especially now it helps so much to be able to get that kind of support from all of you to continue improving the show. All right, that is all I have for you today. With all that being said, I encourage you to rage on. Bye. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues, and it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.